Welcome to the Pair Program from Hatchpad, the podcast that gives you a front row seat to candid conversations with tech leaders from the startup world. I'm your host, Tim Winkler, the creator of Hatchpad. And I'm your other host, Mike Ruin. Join us each episode as we bring together two guests to dissect topics at the intersection of technology, startups, and career growth. Hey, what's up, everyone? We are back for another episode of The Pair Program. Uh, I'm your host, Tim Winkler, accompanied by my co-host, Mike Gruen. Mike, how are you doing today, sir? Doing well, doing well. Weather's getting nicer. Uh, how are you doing? That's I'm good. Um, I, I agree with you. Finally got some, some sunny weather here in Tennessee where I'm recording from today. So uh, looking forward to getting a little bit more outdoors. We got nailed with some pretty soggy weather for the last week, but uh, on the up uh, at this point. Um, so yeah, on today's episode, we are uh, going to be talking about a topic centered around scaling product teams. Um, obviously, a lot to uncover here and you know dissecting how startups at different stages of their growth approach this can be very different. Um, but we are fortunate to be able to hear from two guests who are joining us that are very well versed in today's topic. So we've got Ann and Rajesh joining us. Thank you all for spending some time with us today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Of course, of course. Um, you know, per usual, before we dive into the the discussion, we want to kick things off with a fun segment that we call Pair Me Up. Pair, pair Me Up. This is a, uh, a segment where we go around the room and we call out a complimentary pairing. Uh, Mike, we like to start with you. Why don't you uh, throw, us, uh, throw us something uh, to laugh at today? Yeah, well, it's not going to be to laugh at. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty right. It, I think a lot of people know this. Uh, dark chocolate and espresso beans, like espresso bean, dark chocolate covered. My go-to snack. Love it. Well, not, dirt, not too late at night. Then there's no sleeping, but I uh, do love to snack on it all day. So that would be my... My pairing, not very unique. I think a lot of people know about it. It's classic. It is a classic. Yeah, my wife just did a a chocolate pairing uh, with her with her company as like a team building event, and got a box full of chocolates. And one of those being a um, you know different levels of dark chocolate. I don't think I realized to the extent oh, yeah. of how it goes up by percentage. Mm -hmm. And once you get to like eighty percent, it's super bitter. It's it's tough to. Yeah, most people. Do, I think most people sort of top out at around seventy percent or so, somewhere in there. And uh, I don't, I don't mind. I don't hate on seventy eight, eighty percent. Um, I like my chocolate, like everything in life, kind of bitter. So uh, <laughs> good for you. <laughs> Maybe that should have um, been my pairing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, everything in life and bitter. Yeah, that's that's good. Um, Cool. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll jump in. Um, so it kind of a follow up to you know, my, my meal last night. I'm going to go with a food item as well. And just uh, kind of like a classic, just surf and turf. Um, I like these two uh, as a dinner uh, pairing. It's the type of thing where it's like, if I'm going to go with like the ideal surf and turf, I'd probably narrow it down to like a filet and crab cake um, would be my two go-to as far as like a surf and turf meal. but. That's uh, that's my pairing for today. Um, let's kick it over to uh, Anne. What uh, a little intro from yourself and and uh, a pairing for you. Yeah, so I'm Anne Nielsen. I lead the product management function at Jupiter One, which is uh, we're Series B right now, a startup. Um, 
And I was going to go with something more classic like screen time in the pandemic, but I think I'm going to take your lead and stick with food, but I'm going to go with a more aggressive food pairing. I like to do sunny side up eggs on top of French toast. Mm-hmm. And I'm told that this is a very uh, grandparent thing to do. Like I'm a grandma for enjoying this, but you know what? It's delicious to have like the runny egg all over the French toast. It's like gooey and awesome. So yeah, there you have it. I love that. <laughs> Is there syrup involved too, or is that separate? Obviously, syrup and butter has to happen as well. Nice. It's a, it's a it's a whole thing, and it's a delicious meal. And so you're sort of balancing the amount of sugar that you're intaking uh, and your your carb load with that protein theory from the from the egg. Yeah. Do you like a yeah, thick French toast or a thin French toast? Um, thick French toast ideal is the cinnamon raisin French toast. Yes. Obviously. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I love cinnamon raisin as a French toast bread yeah 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 you can't go wrong with that and now my kids think that just they they shied away from the raisins now they just we just use cinnamon bread but what are you gonna do can't win them all one day you'll you'll just start feeding them raisins again and then they won't notice (laughs) they're they're in their teens i think they'll notice (laughs) (laughs) good stuff yeah i gotta give that a shot sounds pretty incredible um Cool. Uh, Rajesh, how about a quick intro and uh, a pairing from you? Yeah, I'm Rajesh Nerlikar. I'm the co-founder and CEO at Prodify. We are a product advisory and coaching firm um, and I've uh, been doing product for, for more than 15 years. Uh, a lot of startups and a, and a couple of larger organizations as well. Um, I had like a really nerdy uh, product related pairing, but now that you guys are talking about food, I'm going to change my answer. Uh, and I'm down here in Austin, so I'm going to do uh, barbecue and beer uh, as as an all time sort of like classic, uh, especially in the summertime down here. Uh, get a cold beer and some good barbecue. Do you have a, a go to barbecue spot down there in Austin? Yeah, there's probably one or two. Uh, we actually don't go to like, you know, Franklin, which is probably one of the more popular ones or well-known ones down here. There's a, there's a place called Style Switch. And then uh, there are, as, as I think in every city these days, uh, a ton of local craft breweries. And so um, I have a, a, one of my favorites is um, Zilker. Uh, and they just opened up like kind of a, a brewery down in, in East Austin. And they've got an IPA that's one of my favorites. Uh, it's kind of funny when I buy beer these days, uh, there's so many choices that I'm often just like, well, I'll try a new brand or something. But uh, Zilker Marco IPA is one of the only ones I buy regularly uh, and have bought it many times over. Uh, just one of my one of my favorites. Also, the can design is really cool. It's your house beer. Cool. Yeah, it's the house, yeah, the house beer. It's always in the fridge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm just making note right now. Zilker. Okay. <laughs> This is really why we do it. Uh, we don't. <laughs> this is truly the <laughs> purpose <laughs> of the pair program. I like the way we were trying to go with different routes with our pairings, <laughs> but instead we just reverted to food. And now, yeah, giving you some tips. <laughs> you got a theme. Yeah, this is how you really lure the 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 guest in is is with the food and drink, and then we'll throw you some uh some some topics centered around tech. But um, let's let's jump into it. I know. Um, we want to be mindful of everyone's time, and I'd love to dissect this topic. It's it's a um, it's it's a unique one, uh, you know, just centered around you know more on the product and product management teams. Um, and so, again, talking about scaling these product teams, and we strategically selected you know our two guests today as they each have experience with unique stages of startups growth. Uh, Rajesh, you know, you've been working with. 
the growth of product teams for startups that you know might be closer in that seed to the A stage. Um, you know, and you've seen you know many product teams evolving at at the later stage of a company's evolution. And so maybe we kind of start and jump in with you, Rajesh, and uh, almost maybe take a, a little bit of a chronological approach here and describe like what the what the product teams might look like at that seed stage and and going into A, and then you know we can pass it over to Anne and kind of talk about how they evolved beyond that. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think you know super early in the company's life cycle, there more often than not, I would say there is no product team, right? It is more of a hat that someone's wearing, and it's often the founder or co-founders. Uh, maybe it's this, you know, the technical co-founder. Maybe it's the the um, another kind of like more sales or go-to-market focused uh, founder. And uh, what are they doing, right? They they have the vision in their minds, and all they're trying to do in that early stage is get some version of that vision out into market. You know, I usually call it a V1, and then they are just scrambling to iterate to find product market fit. And sometimes that might be, you know, feels like you're kind of like, uh, you know, feeling around in the dark looking for the light switch. But that's it. And you know, oftentimes what that means is they're just you know trying to figure out. Where, where are we seeing traction? What feedback are we getting from the people who are trying our product or asking about it? How do we respond to that feedback to understand their problems, whether our solution is better or different than what they're using today, uh, and all of those things? And I think, you know, what by by the time I talk to a lot of seed stage companies, that's just how they've operated, and their first hires are rarely product managers. Uh, maybe they've outsourced design as a pretty common thing, so they've got a design part time designer or a consultant that that they're working with, which is great. Um, but you know, the first, first few hires, right. Engineering, obviously you can't build anything without, without the, the software and you need some like, you know, go to market motions. So you probably got sales or marketing or the founders doing that. And, uh, I'd say that's kind of that early stage is like, you find that product market fit. Um, and then, you know, around there, maybe is when you go raise series A, you got some early signs, uh, and you could tell a good story of sort of like how the, how big the market is and, and what the sort of like next chapter of growth looks like. Um, and that's often when we see the first product hire being made. And I think there's an interesting thing that we find. Uh, I just, you know, we do a little bit of recruiting work as well uh, in our roles, helping, and that kind of stemmed from clients asking us to help make that first product hire. Uh, sometimes people will, will sort of like, you know, try to start with that head of product or maybe even a VP of product. Uh, but what we find is at that early stage, the founders are rarely ready or need to hand off the product vision and strategy. It's like, hey, we were onto something. We already know exactly where we think all this is going to head, and that's the story we've been telling to investors and the board and like, you know, the, the rest of the team. And so we don't need someone to come in and sort of like take that over. What we really need is someone to come in and start executing on our roadmap in a much more like sort of like mature, sophisticated way than we've been doing historically, which is like probably pretty ad hoc, right? Someone heard something from a customer and they go to the engineering design team, build something and like go find out whether it works or not. And now I think something more of a kind of a full-time senior product manager might be the right type of hire to make. And I think that's sort of the early signs of, of scale. So I'll pause there. And to me, that's kind of like the seed series A, finding product market fit. And then right after finding product market fit, that's kind of what I, I would normally see happening. But love to hear what, what y'all normally see uh, if there's any questions. Yeah, why don't we just keep keep running uh and like what what you kind of see um you know beyond yeah. and then we can I've got some questions for sure on what you just uh mentioned there Rajesh but uh and maybe if you want to kind of pick up where that left off. Sure. I mean one thing I would just add on to what Rajesh said was um you know product market fit it's so imperative to have a product marketer. 
as part of that early go-to-market motion. Um, you know, a lot of times early stage companies, you want marketing ops or you want somebody to be doing lead gen to be a, a, a growing a, a sales team of one or two or something like that. Um, but somebody who really can work and understand the product market fit, where is it resonating, really nail your positioning statements. That is absolutely critical. And I'd almost say is, um, you know, as you're moving into growing and you realize you recognize the need for product management. I'd almost say if you don't have product marketing in place before you bring on product management, that's the hire that you need to make first. Um, because distilling your positioning, your messaging, all of that is going to feed into your product roadmap. Because um, the first thing a product manager is going to say is like, well, what do we stand for? What does this product do and for whom? Um, you know, And if that's not well articulated somewhere, then the product manager is basically going to spend a bunch of time being product marketing, trying to figure that out. Um, and working with customers, trying to understand the product market fit, where is it resonating? Where do you see a large TAM um, total addressable market? Where, and of course, that's going to be part of your discussions that you're having at that Series A, that that seed stage. Um, and then as, once you're growing in and you realize, yeah, you need a product manager in here. Um, you know, usually what I see is um, when you're when you're bringing in that first product manager, you typically have engineering is playing some of that role, but sometimes engineering is just being swung back and forth with different priorities coming in at different times. And there's a level of exhaustion and burnout from the engineering team that makes you realize like, hey, we need a we need a roadmap. We need to be clear about what our priorities are and to be very upfront with trade-off decisions. So it's not whoever made the loudest, you know, voice in the room or made the loudest uh, yell and most recently, that's the priority of late. Um, so, you know, going into that first product manager, um, and then a lot of times that first product manager, if you're getting into growth and you're having larger and larger dev teams, you want to scale your product management based on the number of dev teams. Um, you usually have one product manager for two to three dev teams, a really good, strong product manager who's potentially a principal level product manager can handle three separate backlogs, but going into four separate backlogs, five separate backlogs, like that's just a lot of cognitive load on a single person. And that's where you need to start thinking about adding additional product managers. Um, and so that's usually around the time that you're looking at a series B um, is that you've, you've started to differentiate your different product development teams. You no longer have just one dev team. You have two, three, four, five dev teams. You're starting to Specialized, you're having them own specific services um, rather than everyone owns everything. You know, moving into that frame where you have multiple team, one team owns multiple services, but they don't own under other services. You're starting to split out your core platform team and then a feature team potentially as a as a structure, as an architecture, um, so that you can, you know, focus on hiring full stack developers for front to back delivery of your services, and then you know. Um, and so that's the point that you're you're really starting to bring on multiple product managers to support these multiple teams. And then what starts to get interesting is at what point do you start bringing on multiple products? And so Rajesh, you and I were talking about this a little bit before. Um, you know that point where you're thinking about you know new product development. It's always easiest to to sell to companies when you've already sold to them. You know you want to be able to. Hey, you just bought this. Let me sell you something else. Um, and I typically see that that's a Series C move. You know, once you're starting to to do 
um, you know, you have your core product, and then you have or your your flagship products, then you have these additional add ons, these additional products that you're starting to sell. And once you're starting to explore additional products, then you're looking at potentially additional product line managers, someone who is responsible for the full delivery of that product uh, and the the P and L of that product, and looking at pricing for that product. Uh, and so that's just a level of maturity into a product organization that you get into, and that's the series series D series D sort of sort of play. That's awesome. Thank you. I, I want to go back to you were talking about product marketing and product management because I think that's an area where um, actually I think this is true in so many different parts of product because they're central in the organization that there's like engineering can sort of fill in for some product management marketing can sometimes fit like there's all these different groups that can sometimes do a little bit of what product does maybe not as well maybe you know whatever but I am curious like where does product marketing do you think product marketing fits under product or does it fit under marketing or does it really just depend on the team you have? And and I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. Because that seems to be a, a debate I've been involved in several times. <laughs> I mean, my personal is it, it depends on the team you have. You know, I, it can very well. I've worked with it under product management. I've worked with it under product under marketing. Um, typically. I think it is most healthy when you're you're bringing in that first marketing person is that product marketer. So they're generally um, a higher level person. Um, and so then you would typically have that be more of a peer to the product manager who you're bringing in. Uh, Rajesh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think I, I agree that it, it depends on the team. The other layer or sort of like consideration I might throw in there is is almost like your go-to-market strategy, right? So um, many teams these days might be trying to go after the SMB market using more of a product-led growth strategy where the product itself sort of like demonstrates value through trials and, and that, those types of things. And in that case, I think you can sort of make a case where the product marketing person being part of the product team can be extremely powerful so that the messaging and the sort of value prop communication follows through with the onboarding and then into the sort of like feature usage that most product teams are kind of zoomed in on, but it's like a coherent story and messaging to the, to the customer. Um, and, you know, I think that one aspect I'll sort of like throw out here that I think, you know, um, and was talking about um, product line managers and then sort of like probably some product managers underneath them. I think the, the org structure is a huge uh, consideration in how your product team scales. Uh, I think organizing by products, you know, is probably the most common thing that I see. I think there might be some other considerations, which is maybe you organize by persona. So, for example, all of my experience was in B two B two C, and I kind of looking back on it, like we ended up having to balance between the buyer, our customer, and like you know the HR department and the employee benefit sort of model versus the employees or the consumers. And I think that there's something interesting about thinking about what is the sort of like team structure look going to look like at the end and who, who what's going on inside of our business and therefore how should we sort of like think about scaling this team because um, i think it could affect the org structure the staffing and like all of those things as you think about scaling uh the organization the dual-sided marketplace structure is always one of the most complicated yep. products yeah. you have to serve do buyers essentially at the same yeah, time you got like this yeah the shoppers and the merchants is super complicated i also think like, i think that Oh yeah, sorry. Go ahead, Mike. I was just gonna say, like, I think like intent was one that we I've previously done as well, which is like because you have these different personas, but like they're sort of they're coming to the platform to do a particular thing, and that thing is what is that thing, and 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 it could be a learner, and it might be that this persona of a learner is you know any number of people, um, 
And so sort of aligning more around like that sort of intent of why are they on the platform and then to look their value based on that intent. Um, but the, the, I, I find it interesting the buyer versus like user persona type stuff, because sometimes I know from like, especially on the enterprise side, where the people making the purchase weren't the people who were using the software. <laughs> and so what you, some yeah. features you'd have to do for them just to, you know, and then you talk to the end user and they're like, this is garbage. I don't even use it. Why do you guys maintain it? Um, but it's like, well, it's because it's fun fact, like pie charts sell, sell products, you know, like sell analytic products, even if nobody it demos can, really well. It demos really well, yeah. exactly. <laughs> but yeah, so I think that there's something to that as well, breaking things down from, persona or whatever, but yeah, come up with what makes sense for you and how you can organize both from a product perspective and like from an engineering perspective, like how are you going to resource this appropriately? Where's the code base? Where, like there's so many different things when it comes to, I think, how you organize them. I feel like there's no right answer, right? The, the right answer is... Well, one thing I yeah. would add on to that though, is that when you're organizing, you have to, I, I feel strongly that a product manager needs to be aligned with one or m- multiple dev teams. Because the product manager at the end of the day is responsible for the backlog and the prioritization, prioritization decisions of that dev team. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the risk of a persona-based alignment is, do you have dev teams that are also aligned on personas? And so does that mean that you have multiple dev teams that are working in the same services? So what happens when that service goes down? Who is the one who's holding that pager? And so those are the type of considerations that you have to be thinking through as you're developing your org chart. You know, what is the right um, organizational structure for my dev team that's going to have a massive impact on the organizational structure of the company? And and similar to that, you don't want, and speaking from, because as an engineer, like you don't want an engineer uh, beholden to two different product managers. Like, how do I balance these? I need you two to figure this out. I don't want to figure out who's more. Right. That's not the responsibility (laughs) of the engineer to figure out. Right, right. Yeah, I think it brings up a good point, which is like, this is not just a decision about like what product is doing over here while engineering makes their own choices on sort of their org structure. This is a collab. If you buy into sort of like the code, you know, cross-functional product team, product design, engineering, and like, then this is a joint decision. And so, you know, I think there's other parties to, to factor in. I think there's other sort of complexities that maybe even later, and you were talking about like, you know, series C and beyond. We were talking about product management, product marketing. There's other functions that typically fall under the product team, right? Design is usually the most common one. Uh, and then as you scale, I think analytics often falls under product. Uh, I think product operations can as well. Sometimes design breaks out into like user research versus like design and like you know, all these things. Get, as well. Yeah, the knowledge, yeah, the knowledge management team and sort of like, yeah, 100%. So all these things get more complicated. Probably more at the CD, you know, E stage, and into the enterprise world. But um, I think it's something to consider. If, if and I'm not saying you have to like think about that immediately, but you might also want to think about how do how does this is this a stepping stone to something like longer term that that we don't have to have like a major reorg you know every year because we didn't consider where we were headed in our growth strategy. And I think that's the important part. Sorry, and go on. Hiring the right software engineer doesn't come easy or at an affordable price. As an early stage founder growing quickly, you need strong technical talent without breaking the bank. That's why we created Scale, Hatch IT's flexible recruiting program tailored for startups hiring on a startup budget. Whether you're looking to bring on a new head of engineering or a product manager, Hatch has you covered with dedicated support from seasoned tech recruiters at a fixed monthly cost. Take back the time you've spent sourcing through your own LinkedIn connections and let Hatch handle the heavy lifting of recruiting for you. And while you're at it, give your CFO something to smile about when they're no longer paying for high-priced finder's fees. 
Visit us at hatchit.io to start hiring on your startup budget today. I was just going to say, it's also um, the people that you're attracting for these roles are going to have those questions because they're going to be thinking, you know, in a year, in two years, in three years, when we're moving into Series B, Series C, and Series D, um, or going public or getting acquired, what is the growth path for me here? So if you don't have those kind of not like written down and very well articulated, but at least sketched out in your head, that's going to look poorly on the organization that this isn't a thought process that has been considered. Um, so as you're thinking about your hiring strategy, you do need to have start sketching these out and have a sense of where this is headed because the candidates that you're talking to are going to be thinking that if they if they don't directly ask. Yeah, I completely agree. I think the the thinking it through and then also, I mean, I think having that plan, but being flexible enough to know that like what I knew maybe six months ago is no longer accurate and we will have to adjust the plan. I mean, that's sort of, but yeah, thinking it through, I think there's too many that are like, oh, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. It's like, well, we might want to start thinking about how we're going to cross that mm-hmm. bridge. <laughs> yeah, I think an interesting point here is that, you know, how diverse the role of the PM can be. Um, and what, you know, these different personas that can embody what a PM does. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just real quick curious, uh, and your background, uh, what, where did you start, uh, before you got into product management? Sure. So I don't have a typical PM background. My background is actually in marketing. Um, and so I was in product marketing. Um, and prior to that, I was actually in uh, field marketing and uh, program marketing, event marketing, that sort of thing. Um, I fell into product marketing. I actually explicitly did not want to go into product marketing when I first joined my company. Um, but a year later, there I was. Uh, and then I ended up responsible for the strategy of one of our products um, that was really services oriented, but had product implications. And so as I was working on that, um, my CEO actually pulled me aside and said, I think you would be a very strong uh, player in product management. And so I was like, oh, I've never even considered that role. Uh, You know, it wasn't a thought for me. Uh, But that's what brought me into product management was uh, the work that I was doing. Um, And so I, I, speaking of personas in product management, um, you have some product managers who come from a CS background. They were developers. They sort of moved more towards the customer and um, showed affinity and empathy for what the customer is trying to do. And that's what pulls them into product management. Uh, and so they generally have a more technical background. And then you have other product managers who are more market oriented, which is what I am. Uh, and so they have more of that, that orientation and that focus on where's the market going? What are we trying to solve for? In uh, a higher level, you know, uh, a focus. And so, where I would not be successful um, is if somebody was looking for a very technical product manager. You know, that's you're you're putting me in a bad spot. Versus if someone's looking for someone who's trying to guide an overall product in a direction, then then I'm a good fit. You know, and I I evolved into a platform product manager, which is also a very specific flavor of product management. Um, it's sort of like a dual-sided market product manager. That's a very specific <laughs> mm-hmm. flavor of product management. Um, and so there's there's lots of different flavors that they can evolve into. But that's part of as you're looking to develop your product management organization and grow it, you have to think about um, what are the different flavors that we need here in order to be successful. 
Yeah, that's a fascinating um, point. And, and and while we're on the topic, I, you know, Rajesh, what, uh, your your background, I, I, uh, where did your kind of career uh, start off? Uh, and just described it exactly. I started as an engineer, uh, architect on the software side, and then I, I wanted to understand why our, our the Accenture clients were asking us to build the custom software we were building. And I was just more curious about that than actually building it. So became a BA um, and moved into the world. Of, I got my... Um, uh, MBA and then moved into the world of startup product management afterwards. Awesome. So yeah, we've got uh, some great perspectives here. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, no, I was going to ask you because I mean, you've definitely seen more than I have, but like those are two very common, those are pretty common, actually, I think backgrounds. I mean, maybe the product marketing one is a little less common, but still I've seen it. Um, I'm curious if you, if there's other common, you know, sort of backgrounds you've seen. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, it's one of the hardest positions to recruit for because of the fact that there's so many of these varying personalities. Um, you know, it's it's it's. I, I think that's why this is such a great discussion is because one, I, I'm also I'm trying to um, make sure that we're explaining this from the viewpoint for our listeners that that are maybe a little more junior level um, that are in, entering into the into the workforce. Where the role of the PM is still like, you know, I I don't I would even you know I'm not even entirely sure is that even a, a concentration in in academia right now or is that something that is, you know, figured out after the fact because um, I I would love to set up, you know, the junior folks that are listening to this that you know it's becoming more mainstream it's becoming something that's that's talked about quite a bit uh, this role, you know. I'm I'm starting my career off as an entry level PM. Um, where do I fit in? Because you know this is kind of where the 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 idea of Rajesh, you know you you know you're that seed. You just you define this this um, you know maybe it's not even really needed at this time. But you know when you do hire that first PM, that's probably not where an entry level you know junior PM kind of fits in. Um, I think it's kind of like this serial startup product person. And so as we get, as we dissect this a little bit further, I'd love to just make sure that we're keeping this from the perspective too of like, I'm a, a junior PM, where do I fit and what, how might I navigate a, a career search? Actually, if I could jump in, cause I think, sorry to sort of preempt our guests, but like for me, sorry, <laughs> I can't help myself sometimes. Um, I feel like there is no entry level PM per se. Like that's not really a thing. Like what is the thing is you're an, you're, 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 an, agree with that. you're a technologist. You're either in, you're either doing design already. You're doing engineering. You're in marketing. You're in customer success. You're in support. You're in any number of places. I'm sure I missed, but oh, project management. All these are very common things that I've seen where people are in these roles. And then they want to get more like somewhere bridge the gap between like be in that central hub of bridging the gap between the the, the customer or the market and the um the users and the the implementation and so on and so forth so i don't know that there is a quote unquote entry level but i do know that like you start doing these things and then somebody eventually taps you on the shoulder and says i think you'd be really good at product product management and i'm mm -hmm. curious what what our guests have to say but i have a feeling Anne's going to agree with me <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think the thing to, to keep in mind, Tim, to your point, none of us went to school for product management. And mm -hmm. to this day, there are very few colleges or universities that offer a product management sort of like degree per se. Maybe there's some specializations or some minors that are starting to pop up. Um, 
And I think this is why it's given rise to the likes of Product School and Reforge, who now have like mm -hmm. certification or training programs where they're trying to teach people this. Um, Mike, I will say this: at the larger organizations, there are entry-level uh, product manager jobs. There, there's they're typically called associate product managers, and and there you're normally recruiting like high potential. But it's like only really big companies have that because it requires a, a major investment in in sort of like teaching these people sort of the ropes. Um, I think at the core of, of what questions I'd be thinking about if I was starting over or all over again is like the role of product is so new that every company has a different definition of what, what it entails. And so I think the questions I'd be asking is like, what, what are, you know, what are some of the key responsibilities or more pointedly, what is the answer to how, what is success defined as for this person? So if this person joins and six months later, like how is the hiring manager deciding whether they're doing a good job? Because this is how we as recruiters sometimes quickly assess what type of product person this company is looking for because product people have come from such varying backgrounds. They lean in a few different dimensions, right? The main ones, of course, technology leaning, design leaning, like more customer role facing and, and maybe some more business facing folks. And, you know, there's different like flavors of product folks. And so um, I think one of the most, first things to do is just say, what's the biggest gap? And when, if you're thinking about scaling your product team, What's the first like gap I want to fill, and and why is that the one that that makes sense? And then go find the right you know profile of, of folks uh, within that. I'd say if you're interested, just riffing off of what you're saying, Rajesh, if you're interested in product management, you're earlier in your career. I would ask, what are you what are you interested in specifically? Like, what's driving you towards product management? Because often, um, you know, you don't learn about product management in, in a in a school setting, you learn about it because you observe a product manager in action and you're like, oh, that looks cool. I want to try that on for size. So was it, what is it about that that resonates with you? And then figure out how can you do that in your role today? So um, for instance, if you're seeing a lot of um, cross-functional leadership showing up from a product manager because they have to influence without having management, um, okay, how could you do that in your role today? How could you start to exhibit some of those skills? Um, and then be on the lookout for when that uh, new product management job opening comes up. Talk to the leaders in product management. Is that something that you could potentially position yourself for? Because product managers come from everywhere. And a lot of companies are really interested in taking a product manager, um, teaching somebody more about product management if they already understand the product deeply. Um, so if somebody's say in a customer success role, they likely already understand a lot about the product and what the customer is trying to do. And then you're teaching them about how do you think about phasing? How do you decompose an epic into something that the dev team can then work on? How do you prioritize? You know, and those are the, the muscles of product management. Um, you can start to build that if you have a basis of knowledge to operate on versus if you are coming in from an outside, you know, you're not a part of that company. You don't have that technical skill. You don't have that knowledge of the product or the market. That's going to be a harder sell to say, I, I have this customer success background and I want to move into product management. Okay, you don't have a lot of muscles to stand on to make that make sense. So I'd say, like, when, what is it that you're excited about with product management? How can you show that skill in your current role? And then how can you position yourself within your current role to move into do that kind of lateral move into product management from your current position? Yeah, that's great advice. Um... I'm I'm curious. Uh, I know that there's you know roles that have been 
kind of created on this fractional basis, like a fractional CTO um, is something that we see uh, for maybe very early stage startups that maybe don't have that technical leader. Um, have have either of you seen, you know, a fractional CPO or somebody coming in where they're, you know, kind of helping almost like an advisory role uh, to get to a certain point? Um, I'm generally curious on my on my own thoughts on that, but. Um, I see this relatively well. I, I don't know how common it is, but I do see it. Uh, I've, I've done it myself. It's sort of like interim VP of product. With, did it with a Series A healthcare startup a, a couple of years ago. Um, uh, what I will say is that the number of product consultants since I even started doing this work four years ago has sort of like blown up in my mind in the last year or two. I'm seeing a lot more people getting out there and starting consulting firms, and which means that they're typically doing some of this stuff mm-hmm. now. I think they're starting to specialize. Some of it might be more around like customer discovery, which is like, oh, you want to launch a new product? Like, you better have someone who's actually talked to like some prospective buyers, not in the context of a sales meeting, but like maybe just understood what's working for them with the existing solution and those types of things. So, um, I do see some interim and fractional PM roles, and I think I think they can work. You just have to have a very very tightly scoped sort of like goal or outcome that you're looking for, which and or and or deliverable uh, typically in the consulting model because. If they're not doing it 40 hours a week, then you can't assume that they can do all the things that a full-time person can do. And so you need to think what's actually feasible to do, you know, 10, 20 hours a week, you know, in some meaningful time frame to us. And I think this is where something like, hey, you know, do some of the discovery work or like do, you know, um, help us establish the org structure and then hire the first two people or something like that, being the product leadership level or something. Or, so or even just are, as are very much as just ask us the right questions, like help us to get focused, help us to do what we need to do. Like we, we don't know, like we're, right, we're founding, you know, founders, we've never done this before. What, what aren't we thinking about? I think is a great place where, where product consultants can come in. Yeah. And that's, that's typically the role we'll start with as an advisor, which is like, you know, we might do weekly or bi-weekly check-ins and start helping shape the sort of like direction of the product. And then the, the thinking about the execution and that's sort of the reason where the natural like extension for us historically was like being the recruiter afterwards was being like, can you help us find this type of person and screen them? Yeah. I would just add that you want to have that off ramp for, you know, an expected how at what point am I going to move into somebody who's more full time? Because you can't as a fractional CPO or a fractional product manager, you're not going to be able to do that long term. You know that's maybe six months. Depending on your growth rate, it could be even less than that. Um, but you're you're not looking at that as a long term strategy because ultimately you do want somebody on your team who's doing this full time. Good stuff. Um, just kind of you know keeping an eye on the clock here. I wanted to. Uh, make sure that we save some time to dive into you know some of these specific career growth questions that are uh, crowdsourced from the community. But anything that we didn't touch on uh, that you wanted to, I guess you know, put a bow on it with the last statement. Um, now would be a good time for that. Um, otherwise, we can we can transition to the next segment. Yeah, I think we covered a lot. <laughs> Yeah, um, and one final thought, Tim, yeah. just in the vein of scaling product teams, which is that if you think in you know 2022 you need to hire like lots of product people, um, in this market, I think you have to think really hard about what your sort of evaluation and hiring process or interview process looks like. Candidates are going just left. There are multiple offers. They're they're making decisions within a few weeks at some organizations, and so I think you know this is a place where sort of agility is like one of the things to consider, which is like. 
how much you shrink the the sort of entire experience down to I don't know two two or three weeks seems reasonable, or maybe that's a, a target. Um, one of the things we normally recommend is sort of like homework assignments, and for those, we've actually been doing something different because they take some time and they add like another week or something to the process. And so we've been doing stuff like real time jam sessions where either we send a, a little bit of a prompt up front or, or we don't, and it's just like, a, hey, here's a real problem we're grappling with. Wanted to see how you might tackle it, and it's not going to take you five hours, but instead you might spend ninety minutes with us and get to meet your the engineers that you're going to work with, the designers. So it's like a little bit of a two-way thing too. But I think in, in the context of scaling a product team, I think the speed at which you're hiring is an important consideration right now. Yeah. I would just to, to continue on that vein, Rajesh, um, the, it's a really hard market right now. I'm trying to hire product managers. It's hard. Um, and I would say as, as somebody who's looking to become a product manager or you're a product manager, you are looking, I think you have to remember that you yourself are a product. So think of yourself just like you would a product. And how would you, what are you good at? What are you not so good at? Where do you want to grow? Um, and think about those and have those challenges well articulated. Like this is what I want in the next step in my role. Uh, and what I'm, what boxes I'm looking to check and be very clear about that with the, the opportunities that you're evaluating because, you know, you, you want to set yourself up for the best experience that you can you can possibly achieve. And you want to be very, very clear with the prospective employers about what you're looking for, what success looks like to you, just like you want them to be very clear about what they believe success is. So it's a, it's a two-way street. And if you're on that job search, it's really important to have that well-articulated and understood as you're going into these different interviews, especially with things moving so quickly now. Uh, you don't want to you know, miss an opportunity because you didn't think something through. Awesome. Yeah, I I love uh I love this topic. I just I I I uh second what both of you all said and Rajesh completely agree. We're having the same conversation on, you know, on the engineering front of like you know, you might want to think creatively about that coding exercise being thrown out there as your first step or how long that 4-day coding pro, you know, exercise is going to take you. Um this market it's it's a good time to be a product manager, I'll put it that way. Um but let's segment uh, or transition to our next segment. Um, it's called Round Out My Career. Uh, so this is a, a segment where we spin this community wheel behind me uh, with topics and questions that are crowdsourced from the Hatchpad community. And these can range from you know anything from compensation to diversity to interviewing, uh, and we'll be choosing uh, we'll chosen randomly as as the wheel spins. So I'll give it a spin here and see what today's topic is. Oh God! One away from the giveaway. Oh, Jeez, <laughs> it's, it's getting old now. We need to we need to maybe just force that over there. Maybe we just days, need to add the raspberry. Maybe we just add another raspberry Pi every couple every so often to make <laughs> it more more likely. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. All right. So we landed on interviewing. Uh, let me just pull up. That's right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> let me just uh, pull up a couple of questions here. The interview horror story. That's maybe save that for another day. Um, okay, I'll, I'll I'll just throw this one out there. So, uh, Rajesh, maybe we'll begin with you. What would you recommend? You know, candidates cover when kind of pitching themselves, um, and we can. You present this in the form of a you know 
a product manager or you can just kind of keep it more general? Yeah, I mean, I think the big thing that I don't often see uh, and and just you know take this with a grain of salt. I probably looked at like twenty five hundred product resumes over the last two years and did a hundred or more phone screens. And so I think the big thing I, I was noticing was like sometimes the pitch didn't line up to the role, and it was clear either in the application or in the screen that like they hadn't done a lot of research on what the company did, or and they didn't try to connect the dots between like Anne was talking about what, what are they good at. And, um, you know, what, what are they looking for in their next role? And how does that line up to what this company has to do? And I'm not saying like, you know, you have to have like a, a personalized pitch for every company that you're applying to. But um, I think that at least if you can connect the dots between like one responsibility or one area, then that, that would be helpful. So I think connecting the dots between what, what you're bringing to the table and what the company is looking for, at least based on the job description, like that, that would be a strong initial sort of like impression that you can form as you're making the pitch on sort of who you are and that opening, like, tell me about yourself question, you know? Good stuff. Um, and, uh, I could repeat the question. Um, if, if that's helpful is basically what would you recommend? Yeah, yeah, no problem. Uh, what would you recommend that candidates cover when they're kind of pitching themselves in an interview? I think one of the most important things is to understand where you're trying to go and how you fit. It's sort of like a sales uh, situation there. You you want to both ensure that you have a solid view of your product um, when you're talking to a prospective customer, but also a solid view of what their needs and their pain points are. So it's similar to that, designing your value proposition based on what is the job that the company is trying to do, the pain that they're experiencing, the gain that they're hoping to achieve, and then figuring out, do you have a matching value proposition that fits into that kind of framework? Or are you not well aligned with the gains that they're trying to achieve, even if you understand deeply the pains that they're experiencing? Um, so really uh, cultivating that value prop, sort of like what Rajesh was, Rajesh, sorry, what Rajesh was saying. Um, in light of what the customer is, or the the company, um, you know, is trying to do, just like you would a prospective customer, I, I think that that's really critical. It does mean that you're taking a bit more time in preparing for these interviews, but hopefully you are excited about the role and you are already spending that time anyway um, to to understand. And you're customizing your resume based on this opportunity rather than just blasting, you know, fifty resumes out to fifty different jobs and hoping for the best. Um, but rather being more thoughtful in your search, trying to cultivate, okay, these are the, the target companies that I really think I would excel in and I have the growth of the potential that I want to be a part of. Uh, and so I, I think that these are the ones that I want to play for. And then customizing your resume for those five different companies rather than 50. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. I think the um, with both of you, and I think one of the, it's a kind of very common mistake, I think, uh, especially at entry level where, uh, candidates focus more on, well, what's the company going to do for me as opposed to really trying to articulate what they're going to be able to do. Like, yeah, we're, this is a mutually beneficial relationship. Like, yes, the company is going to do things for you. And it's important that the company talk about that. But at the same time, it's a little bit important of like to express what you're interested in doing and how it aligns. And I do put a lot of value in like people who take the time to at least check out the website. Tell me a little bit like my one of my first questions is, so like, what do you think the role is or what do you think? You know, we do here um, just to get a sense of did they how much time did they spend on it? Because and, and in this market, it's so crazy. Like you have your choice. Why would you be applying to a place that you're not sure what you want to do there? Or how you benefit? You know, like 
you should be really only focusing on places that are, are um, that align well with what you want to do and, and the values that you want to, you know, work on. And that excite and you, excite you, you know, yeah. companies want to see that you're excited about mm-hmm. the opportunity, that you're excited about the product, that the, the value proposition that they're selling is, is something that you could get passionate about. Mm-hmm. And if you can't find yourself passionate about, you know, their scrubbing floors or something like that, then it's not, it's not going to be a good fit. You're going to get annoyed and frustrated within six months of being there. So don't, don't do that to yourself right. and don't do that to them. You know, if you, if you're excited about what they're doing and their growth opportunity, great. And if you're not, don't waste their time. Don't waste yours. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's well said. It's really easy. Well, we, we run, you know, a recruiting company as well. So it's really easy to kind of like pick up on, you know, when, when, when folks are kind of, you know, truly passionate or they're just kind of sugarcoating it and there's no point in sugarcoating. I mean, if you don't, you know, I, I look for folks, well, for one, I think we're all kind of saying a similar thing here is like, it's nothing more frustrating than it's like nobody did any research and they kind of came in cold and they're like, well, you know, the, you know, I, I, I do this and the job description said this and it's like, well, it's, be, it's not just job description. It's, it's truly about, you know, what, what we're, what's the problem that we're, we're solving and do you get that? Like, cause if you don't get that, then you're not going to feel excited about, you know, solving that problem here, which is what we do every day. And, um, and so I completely agree with that. And you can kind of pick up on it if they've done the research and it kind of clicked of like, oh, you're, you're doing this thing, the sol- solving for this thing. And it, I'm passionate about that for these reasons. You can kind of piece it together and it'll come out in that conversation. But uh, Mike, you touched on it as well. And I think we see it quite a bit these days too, is, you know, people want, you know, with these options, they, they want to work for a company that's, you know, a little more mission driven or, or, you know, they've, they've, they've plastered their values out there and, and it's public knowledge. And, you know, we want folks to be a part of this that share similar values, this values-based recruiting, which is becoming really a, a really big thing. Um, I, I think it's important, uh, you know, that folks do that research up front and, and look for those items that are, you know, if this is going to be your, your home, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to just skimp on that part. And so take it seriously from, from the first discussion to the last, um, because it'll come out and we'll pick up on it, uh, throughout at some point. Um, cool. I think, uh, all, all very helpful feedback. Um, this has been a really great conversation. Uh, I guess for our listeners out there, um, you know, any specific place that they can find you all on social or, um, anywhere else, uh, now's a good time to just kind of promote that. Rajesh, if you want to maybe kick it off. Yeah, for sure. So uh, LinkedIn is probably the best social sort of um, site to find me, Rajesh Nerlikar. Um Also, if you go to Prodify.group, uh, you can find my LinkedIn profile there if you're interested in sort of like who we are, what we do. We try our best to share some of our lessons learned uh, through our blog. Uh, and we've got a few kind of like worksheets and templates that we um, make available through our, our library um, there. So that's probably the best, place, best two places to find me. Awesome. And Anne? And uh LinkedIn is the same for me, best place to find me. And uh, if you're not on LinkedIn, just speaking of recruiting, that is the best place to get to know a company. I mean, most companies are using LinkedIn actively for recruiting, but it's a good way to get a sense of their culture and with it. So Anne L. Nielsen is where I am on LinkedIn. I'd love to see you there. Awesome. Thank you all so much. Uh, a great, a great episode. Um, super valuable for our listeners. And uh, thanks for spending time with us. This has been great. Thanks so much. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having us. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to the Pair Program. If you'd like to continue the conversation from this week's episode, you can do so with the Hatchpad community. Join us at chat.myhatchpad.com.